0: Welcome in to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. Uh, I'm Henry Chisholm. I'm joined today by Andre Simone, as always, and also Jake Schwanitz, who's been instrumental in helping us put together all of our draft content so far this year um, and going into draft week in a few days. He'll be heavily involved. How's it going, Jake?
2: Doing well, man. Happy to be here. Uh, Excited to be talking ball with you guys. Awesome.
0: Uh, Just because nobody really knows who you are yet, uh, tell us about you. What's your your favorite position to watch?
2: Oh, man. Um, So I'm a perimeter guy. I love watching the receivers and cornerbacks, safeties, uh, running backs as well. Um, You know, just getting into doing the stuff with you guys. Um, I've really grown to enjoy watching interior defensive linemen as well. So Mm -hmm. I mean, I love ball, man. I'll, I'll watch whatever.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, who's, who's your favorite late round sleeper?
2: Oh, well, I mean, it's, I guess he's not really as much a sleeper anymore, but, uh, uh, Brian Edwards has been a big gra- uh, draft crush of mine headed back to December. Um, you know, he kind of lost momentum missed in the senior bowl and combine, but since then he's really kind of picked it up. People have uh, been learning a lot about him. So uh, i guess he 's not really a sleeper much anymore, but he 's just just been one of my favorite watches so far
0: He is so much fun to watch he 's one where the highlights are especially fun to watch like obviously, like every guy has a better highlight tape than just normal game film, but when you just watch everything he can do back to back to back to back, like it makes you wonder why he isn 't like a second round first round prospect i think uh yeah, no
2: doubt i 'm Sorry, I um, go, go just going to say, you, you, you put on the Alabama game. That was the first game I watched. In the first play, it's just like, whoa, who is this guy? So, yeah. immediately, he was, he was one of my crushes.
0: All right. Uh, now, one guy from first or second round that you uh, think is way overrated.
2: Oh, man. Um, that's, a, that's a tough one. I, I don't want to say overrated just because he is a good player, but um, I do have some problems with CD Lamb. I, he's not my wide receiver one. Um, I do like Judy and rugs more. So he's just a guy that I'm not as high on compared to everyone else. Why is that? Um, I just think that he lacks some of the finesse that the other guys do. Um, you know, you look at route running. Um, I did see some concerns with some, uh, you know, balls out of the frame with catching those. But, um, I mean, you can't deny the talent and after the catch ability. So, uh, just some small concerns, just not as high on him as everyone else.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's the only one of those top three that doesn't really have an elite trait. With Jerry Judy, you have the route running. Mm-hmm. With Henry Ruggs, you have the speed. Um, and with CeeDee Lamb, it's like he's big, he's a monster. But what does that actually mean when you say he's a monster? Like, and then he has like he's a pretty good route runner, and he's pretty fast. and he, can, he has some wiggle with the ball and all that kind of stuff. But there isn't one thing where you say, yeah, he can do that over and over and over again in the NFL like you can with those other two.
1: Well, and he didn't measure in super big either. So even though he is big and he plays big and like a monster, even that isn't necessarily an elite trait.
0: True. All right. Um Now that you guys know Jake, uh, and you already know Henry and I, we're just going to jump in today, uh, into our next position reviews. And those are the offensive skill positions. We're going to be talking more about the receivers. Um, we're going to be talking about the quarterbacks. We're going to tell you everything we know about the running backs. Um, and then after that, we're going to jump into some questions, um, and that's going to be our last show before draft week, which is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, crazy. But before we get going with those receivers, we need to tell you a little bit more about Manscaped. And Manscaped is just incredible. Um, hey, Jake, you a big Manscaper? <laughs> oh, yeah, huge. Perfect. That's what I, that's <laughs> all, I don't have anywhere to go with that. I just wanted to make you say it. Um,
1: he's, a, he's a perimeter guy, Henry. How per- could he not be? Guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. I wonder what that would mean. Like, Does that mean like...
1: I mean, I kind of set it up on a T. I think, uh, it's yeah. implied what I'm, what I mean by it.
0: I think it means that like you just go after you like that's, that's the body hair on the <laughs> perimeters, the ones that you don't like. I don't really know. That's right. Mean, exactly. But, like, you do like them. And so you want,
1: like, maybe there's as much of like a slope. There's more of a, you're saying the crot the crotch is more of an inside out draft approach build from the <laughs> trenches type deal. Exactly. I can see it. I mean, I, I guess I could see that. <laughs>
0: If you're uh, like all of us, including Jake, and uh, care about your manscaping, you should be going to Manscape.com, where they'll hook you up with a lawnmower 3.0 or a bunch of other products that make grooming your body hair more enjoyable and more successful. Plus, if you use the code DNVR20, you can save 20% off your purchase. Plus, you get free shipping too. It's a great deal. So go to manscaped.com and take advantage of all of that. All right. Let's talk receivers, um, and let's start by ranking those top three. We heard Jakes. Actually, we didn't hear Jakes. So we just know CD Lamb is number three. What order do you put Jerry, Judy, and Henry Ruggs in?
2: So I'm going to go Judy one, Ruggs two. Um, I think they're pretty close in terms of their elite traits, like you mentioned. Um, that's kind of what pushes them up to the top for me, uh, with Judy the route running and, of course, with Ruggs the speed. Um, and I do rugs. I think is just more than speed. Obviously. Um, he does have some route running ability and, uh, the sneaky stat I like about him is his hand size. They're massive. They're 10 and one, uh, one eighth inch. Um, some of the biggest hands in this class Mm -hmm. and he was a reliable catcher with the ball. So, uh, that's going to translate. I I think that that's a good
0: point. And, you know, there are all the comparisons with John Ross that get thrown around. You know, they're obviously wrong, but that's where people go because that was the last really fast receiver to be drafted in the top 10. the difference being that Henry Ruggs has done more diverse things. He's been asked to, to run more routes than John Ross did. But some of the reason he was asked to do those things was because the, the team already had, you know, Devontae Smith, the waddle. You already have these speed guys who are taking those speed roles. And so it's almost like Henry Ruggs was forced into not his ideal position, playing more of that route runner type instead of just stretching the field. Um and that's kind of where I get into concerns is he, does him doing more of that kind of stuff in college mean that he's going to be able to adapt quicker to it, the NFL. Um, because when I look at the route running, I'm still not sold that he can get open consistently at the NFL level. Where do you guys stand? How about Dre uh, on Henry Ruggs specifically the route running, because I think that's probably the most contentious point about him at this point.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, we had a great discussion in the the NVR lounge about this. It really comes down to uh, the top of his route and him really wiggling open, especially against press and uh, getting open quickly because in his cuts, while he can refine a bunch of, uh, you know, selling grouts, setting guys up, the kind of stuff that Judy's really dynamic at, Um regardless already in his cuts, he's absurd because of that speed. That speed really plays up. He plants his foot in the ground. It's like he's just gone, man. Um, And that's where his yak ability is going to play up a lot more. He was such a decoy at Alabama, so we really didn't get to see that yak ability nearly as much. Um, But yeah, he refines the top of his stem because as one of our subscribers said, um, uh, who wrote a great piece on this too, uh, it's You know, that that he is just very very dynamic I've now lost my point but um he's, uh, I forget what our subscriber was saying but uh, no he's uh, he's pretty special man and he can he can create separation he's a decoy in ways that other guys just aren't coming into the NFL he'll automatically open up spaces for other people but he refines those routes just a little bit he can be very hard to stop already in off coverage he starts to get that release down against press and starts to be a little more physical uh sky's the limit
0: okay uh what are your biggest concerns with him
1: well it's it's really the physicality and that physical element and um while the hands are really big um like outlier type big massive hands um I want to see, you know, when you're, when you have some size limitations, those 50, 50 balls, contested passes, you know, the ability to give your quarterback a bit of a more of a margin of error isn't going to be there because you can't extend as much far from your frame. Um, but you know, that's just comes with the territory. It's the old, you can't, not have size and speed but if you have one of the two you can make up for the lack of of the other and rugs fits that bill to a t what I'm interested in though because somewhat like me Jake has had a, a background in analytics and stuff working at sis and doing some stuff for them How could you, how do you frame his production? Because I know that's a concern with Ruggs. Um, And why is that less of a concern for him than maybe other guys?
2: Well, I mean, you know, you look at the touchdowns and that was the thing about Ruggs at Alabama. He just scored a lot of touchdowns. Um, And, you know, touchdowns aren't really a translatable stat. Um, They're kind of an opportunity stat. Um, depends on where you are in the field. Um, you know, just a ton of different variables going into that. Um, like you mentioned though, the thing with Ruggs though is he's just going to open up the field for everyone else. And I think that's where his true value lies. Um, you know, teams are going to shift coverage to his size or to his side. Um, mm-hmm. they're going to have to play safeties over the top of them. And that's mm-hmm. more valuable than, um, a lot of other things. I mean, it just scares the crap out of the defense and it gives you an advantage on offense.
0: Right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, th- I think that, You know, we all see the ceiling with Rugs. If if he can put that speed to use, if he develops as a route runner, um, all these different pieces that could come together and make him a perennial all-pro with the tools he has. I think my question right now is what does he look like day one? What does he contribute on opening day if he's your second receiver? Do you you think that he can – be more dynamic than just a field stretcher who gets Cortland Sutton and whoever else the Broncos draft and Noah Fant open, or is that just his role early on in his career?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, because of the speed, he's going to be a guy that can kind of do some of that gadget stuff for you early on. So he's going to be able to be used in the screen game, um, in reverses, yep. you know, just some of that kind of, I don't want to say gimmicky, but it kind of is early on, especially for Ruggs's role. Um, but as we talked about with the route running, he shows some potential there. So he's going to be able to help you down the field as well. Um, he's one of those guys, you just got to get the ball in his hands. So you're going to see a lot of simple touches early on, especially in his career. Um, you know, kind of like, uh, Marquise Brown, yeah. um, he's going to be just catching bombs. Um, you might see him on a reverse every now and then, and then you just kind of hope that the intermediate and short, uh, finesse in his game comes along.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And those gimmicky touches, that's going to allow you to go away from press, which is going to be key to, to free him up more. And I mean, the fact that as a decoy, he really impacts how defenses have to shift towards him. That really gives him a high floor early on because, you know, as Jake, I think pointed out, but to summarize it somewhat, um, in lamer terms is, his impact in the game plan and the week of preparation for defensive coaches going in is arguably greater than Judy's impact might be on an eight catch, 89 yard day where he doesn't impact the game plan. He doesn't open up spaces for other guys nearly as much. And that's how coaches are going to view this is who's impacting more of the game plan, who allows me to go into a week and know that I have this chess piece on my side that is going to allow me to do these other things that I couldn't do previously.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we've talked a lot about that, but I think it might be interesting just because this is our receiver episode to talk about what exactly those impacts are. So, so is that putting Henry Ruggs on one side of the field with Cortland Sutton to take the top off the defense there? Or is it just the fact that you can put him anywhere? How, how closely intertwined does he need to be working with somebody to have those impacts versus him just, you know, running downfield and the safety has to stay deep? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think if you want to get technical here, I mean, you can use them in a variety of ways because you can put him in the slot and you're going to have to slide a safety over to that side mm-hmm. just to, you know, the concern of the deep speed. Uh, same thing goes if you want to line up in a three by one and line rugs up uh, on the single receiver side. He's probably going to draw two guys just because, yeah. you know, you're going to have a guy up in his face on the line and then you're also going to be scared not to get beat over the top. So it's just going to, it's like a magnetizing effect. He's just going to bring bodies towards him.
1: All right. What um, gets me excited is thinking of a three receiver set with trips to one side. So all three wideouts to one, and then you flex Fant out to that other side. And then yep. it's really like, okay, we time to put that safety over to Ruggs' side. But now we've got Cortland, who's going to be able to, to buy space off of that. And then you've got Fant one-on-one outside there with a guy who almost certainly doesn't have the size to match up to him. So have fun with that.
2: Yeah. And then you get that going and then, you know, you got to worry about Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay now. So it just plays together. Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Uh, I think that's some good Henry Ruggs talk. Let's move along to Jerry Judy. Um, when you look at Jerry Judy, uh, in my mind, he's by far the most polished receiver in this class, likely the most polished player in this class, I think. Mm. And, uh, You know, when we're talking about day one impact, he's a guy who I think could jump in and be a six, seven catch per game type of player immediately. Um, What do you guys see out of Jerry Judy?
2: Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, like you said, probably the most polished, especially receiver coming out this year. Um, And then he's got, he's got multiple aspects to his game. You know, he ran a four, four, five. So the guy's fast. And after the catch, he's got some moves too. So, another one of those guys that you could just want to get the ball in his hands, but he's also, he can create space for himself, which I think is the biggest differentiating trait between him and all the other wide receivers.
0: Okay. Um, And, and when he does generate space for himself, is is there a way to leverage that into helping out Cortland Sutton? You know, is that, is there a way it could, is that, putting them next to each other um, so that Cortland can work off of him? Or is that bringing in like a third receiver so that you, you have a more traditional speed threat, somebody to go deep and have Sutton working off of him. You know, Um, these questions almost make sense.
2: Yeah. um, I get what you're saying though. Um, To go to the lining up on the same side thing. um, I think you can do a lot, especially with Judy. I mean, you factor in the double moves and just his route running ability. um, You're going to be able to play a lot off of that. Um, set up plays for, you know, third, fourth quarter um, in the first half. So there's a lot that you can do with him that, you know, you're you're kind of playing the long game with him just because of his route running. It helps you set up a lot more.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, what I like most about him in particular, and he is my receiver one, I have him above lamb and rugs at this point, um, is that he just plays like a vet but he already has the, the, like the athleticism that a young player has. So this isn't like LeBron James coming in at the end of his career and developing a jumper and doing all these things that he's done to keep himself relevant as the athleticism's has declined. Like Jerry Judy is coming in with all of those bet mm-hmm. things already ingrained in him while he's still in his athletic prime. I think that's what's so exciting is thinking about him, you know, working off of pick plays with Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton um, because he would know how to use those picks perfectly. And he's so quick getting in and out. You could just get him open every single play. Um, You know, I, I I think that when you look at these top three, you you see the differences between rugs and Judy, but CD lamb is kind of a different animal in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. What does he provide that neither of these other two guys can provide?
1: Well, that's really the physical aspect. I'll jump in here, Jake. I mean, it, yeah. it, he's just a different animal um from those other guys. And that's that shows up in contested ball situations. That shows up over the middle of the field and that especially shows up as a runner with the ball in his hands. Now, Rugs can be just a burner you're never gonna catch up with him when he's got the ball in his hands and judy has enough speed and wiggle to be quite the yak threat himself lamb though is at a whole other level because he's physical he's got some wiggle he's a creative runner uh he's just got it all man and he's a he's a really exciting playmaker um when it comes to doing that stuff and where does he rank on your board, Dre? He's my top wideout. So I love that we've, uh, we've split the, the top three uh, evenly. All of us have a different receiver one here.
0: Okay. Um, let's just do some quick questions about these three guys. Um, let's say who is the least valuable week one of this season out of those three?
2: Oh man. Um Yeah. I'd probably that's so tough though. Um because I think they can all you just get the ball in their hands, all uh, right. three of them, and they can do something. Um, you know, I, I go back to Lamb's route running though. Um that might be something that he could struggle with early on. Yeah. Um, but then you could also look at Ruggs' physicality. Um, you know, if teams just press him up and lock him down like that, it could be a tough for him as well. Um, so I guess to kind of chicken out and answer the question, uh, Jerry, Judy has the easiest uh, week one impact and I'd go probably lamb and rugs would have the most difficult.
0: Okay. Um, I think I'd say the same thing. I think I'd, I think I'd go Judy best week, one rugs, second lamb, third.
1: I think I agree with that. Yeah.
0: Um, what about long-term upside? Let's say if everything goes perfectly, mm. rank them one to three in terms of long-term upside.
1: It's uh it's rugs lamb judy for me, which is crazy, but I mm-hmm. think that's how it is. That's mine.
2: Yeah, too. I think that's it. yeah.
0: Mm. Um now let's say let's rank their odds of reaching their potential. Mm. Mm,
2: I'd probably go Judy Lamb Rugs.
1: Yeah, like yep. uh, 75, 65, 60. Yeah. In I that agree. order. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. I think that that's where all, those are all those questions. It's just such a weird debate. And this is, I mean, it's not going to be the last time we have it. Like, we'll kind of have it again next week. But in terms of our receiver rankings, that might be it. It um, really is. Who's your guys's number four receiver?
2: Go ahead, Jake. I've got Justin Jefferson. Yeah, yeah same Justin here. Jefferson for same me. Um, all around, just you know, you mentioned Judy's polish and his refinement. Uh, Justin Jefferson's not far behind. The one knock you could have against Jefferson is just how much he plays out of the slot and how mm-hmm. many free releases he gets. That's really the yeah. only knock in his game. Um, the forty at the combine was incredible. His hands are awesome. His body control is great. Route running is there. So uh, Jefferson, easy for me.
0: I agree for all those same reasons. And again, because I like Jerry Judy so much, I think that's why I like Justin Jefferson so much because they do a lot of those same things and they just get open and produce. Mm -hmm. Um, Dre,
1: anything you want to add? I think um, Jake pointed out about Judy that he gets himself open. He buys himself space. Jefferson does that, but he especially does that with the ball in the air. It's coming back to the ball. It's adjusting uh, midair, stuff like that. That's really going to translate. And he's already a nice route runner. I think he can polish that up even more, become sharper on his cuts. And, you know, yeah, he played in the slot a lot. I think there's all the tools to be just as useful outside as he was inside. But the fact that he can play inside already is tremendous value for him. Um, And, you know, not to jump any questions, but I know there's been some talk that there might be less groupthink, more surprising mocks this year. Jefferson might be one of those guys who surprises us.
0: I definitely. think so. I think that's definitely possible. Um, who's your guys' comp for Justin Jefferson?
2: Oh, man, that's hard. Um, so tough. I do think he has some Michael Thomas to his game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to work short and intermediate and just be a reliable receiver like that. Um, athletically, he might be a bit better. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's just kind of the type of player I see, you know, that possession-type receiver.
1: Yeah, he's like shorter, faster slot version of Michael Thomas, which isn't too much like Michael Thomas. Um, (laughs) That's how good he is. It's, I don't know, there's maybe some Keenan Allen with his route running and stuff. Uh, But again, uh, Jefferson's like two has two more high gears than Allen does even on his best day. Uh, So yeah, it's unique. He compares to these bigger wide receivers who are really good and savvy um, at the catch point and stuff. But none of those guys came close to running a four, four.
0: Yeah. But again, we didn't expect him to run a four four. We didn't. You know, that athleticism <laughs> yeah. didn't always show on the field. You know, it showed in mm-hmm. the production, but also there's Joe Burrow LSU offense. You can yeah. have all those knocks against him if you want. But he didn't look like he ran a four four when he was actually playing football.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that yep. a concern? Does, does that does that scare
2: you that it didn't really translate or we didn't think it translated? I don't think so. Um, because you know, we mentioned the route running his hands and just the natural ability after the catch, you know, the speed is just kind of a bonus on top of all that, I think.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, let's jump ahead to receiver number five. I was actually surprised that neither of you liked Mims better than Jefferson. I guess let's start is Mims even your number fives.
1: He is for Uh, me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh what 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 does knock him down to number 5 instead of being at number 4 because this is kind of like turning into its own tier with him and Jefferson.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I just think Mim's um Mim's probably has the higher upside than Jefferson, uh but he is raw. Uh, significantly so. As a route runner, um he doesn't have that versatility to play in the slot. Yes, he is a speedster, um but Does he separate regularly enough? Does that wiry frame have enough wiggle in the hips to really separate consistently? And then there are drops. While he's maybe the best um, high level of difficulty acrobatic catch uh, getter in this class, and those are phenomenal and I really that's the skill of his that I'm most impressed by. Uh, he does have some drops, and I think part of that is that he lacks a little physicality. So he checks off a lot of boxes, but he also has a lot of obvious weaknesses, giving him high upside because there's a lot of areas he can improve in and really round out his game to become a stud number one receiver. But there are, those are legitimate questions which uh, will require some real development.
2: Yeah, I'm completely with you. Um, like you mentioned, the body control, also his ability to stack defensive, uh, defensive backs on his back when going downfield. That's really what I like about him. But as you said, the route running, um, just the overall physicality is still a bit mm-hmm. raw, um, even though he's got the size. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of have him, I, th- I have him at five at least, mm-hmm. just because of the size speed combination. Yeah. I think that's really what sells it there.
0: Yeah, I think for me, he's kind of the first receiver on the board who I'm kind of scared of if I'm drafting him. Sure. You know, if, if I take Henry yeah. Ruggs, if I take Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, I'm pretty confident, and I'm honestly pretty confident that I'm getting something that I need for my football team week one of this season. With Mims, I'm not so sure how much he produces – at all as a rookie and then whether he even pans out for a career obviously the high ceiling and the odds are pretty good that he still does go for 500 yards maybe 600 yards as a rookie but he just doesn't have that cleanliness i mean that professionalness to his game that you kind of need to have to beat nfl dbs um
1: He's here. a guy oh, who yeah, go ahead. you really want to see him on a team where he's not going to be forced to be the number one early. Like yeah. if he went to Oakland with their second first rounder and they went CJ Henderson round one, I don't love that. Um, but you know, he goes to Denver, he goes to Buffalo, he goes to even Philly where there's guys like Diggs, Sutton, Jeffrey to take, some of the attention off of him, then I like him more. And he's got some impressive yak ability too on shorter routes and what have you.
0: Yeah, it'd be nice to have him go up against another team's Isaac Yadam for a bit in his rookie season. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like let him be that guy as he figures things out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've gone through those top five. Uh, I do think that there's a bit of a gap here after Mims. Um, and I'm curious to ask you how big you think this next tier is that's um, kind of turning into this almost tier three behind Jefferson and Mims on their own when you have Ayuk and Hamler and Rager and Viska and Michael Pittman and T. Higgins and Brian Edwards, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Clay Chaypool, or Claypool. Do all of those guys make your cut for this tier three
2: So the only guy that I would argue for maybe competing for that tier two area would be Michael Pittman. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, similar to Mims, uh, the size speed thing. Um, Also, you got to factor in the bloodlines. I think his father was an 11 year running back. Uh, Mm -hmm. The guy's been around NFL coaching and locker rooms already. He's going to come in and he's going to be like easy adapts to be in, in the pro game. Um. So that factors in pretty big for me. And he's the the receiver in this class. You know, you have Higgins, you have Mims, and Pittman. He's the one that reminds me the most, though, of Cortland Sutton. Um, he's got kind of that drop in his hips that Sutton showed. So he's got some of the route running ability and then just the size speed. It's not as good as, you know, Claypool or Mims, but it's still there.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that his his athleticism is definitely being overlooked um because i because he's six foot four i think because he does have those those highlight reel catches where he's mossing guys but a lot of what he does is you know working with the ball in his hands um he went for i don't even know how many yards against the buffs but i know he got I think he scored two big touchdowns. Um, well,
1: he won the game
0: for him. exactly. He, he makes everywhere. like
1: a big contested catch. The ball's like barely in his zip code, but goes up, reaches mosses a guy and then runs for another 20 yards to win the game. And, and he, he can, did the same kind of stuff to Utah.
0: He can yep. do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he, 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 I, I do worry about the level of competition and you know, he is, people want to talk about the Alabama receivers now. Great. They are. And obviously that's true. Like that's a great group of receivers, but USC Probably has six five stars at receiver right now, yeah. four or five stars, yeah. something like that, and, and it's just constant that one of them, whether it's Amon Ross, St. Brown, whether it's Tyler Vaughns, whether it's Michael Pittman, that's going off, and the defense needs to respect that player more, and it opens things up for everybody else, and so that does kind of concern me. And also, you know, I know that Colorado's cornerbacks weren't in great shape in that game. Uh, there's injuries, there's all that kind of stuff. And around the PAC 12, you know, there aren't a whole lot of number one cornerbacks that you're scared to go up against. Um, and I think that those concerns are valid, but when you look at how he was just running around, running through all these defenses with the ball in his hands, getting open, finding space, he's a good football player. I, I don't think you can argue against that.
1: No, I mean, I'm really high on him. He's in my, he's, he made our top 32. I'll say for me, the next tier is eight deep, but it's really two tiers. There are three and then another five. Okay. And, uh, those three do include Pittman, but it also has Labiska, Chanel and T Higgins. in
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. No, Iuke, no Rager.
1: They're in the next group.
0: Okay. That's fair. Who is that next group? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that next group would be Claypool, IU Rager, Brian Edwards, Hamler. Okay, not a okay. bad group.
0: No Donovan, Peoples, Jones. No. I guess that's kind of your cutoff there.
1: Yep, he's um, kind of the next next branch over. Yeah, yeah,
0: like Van Jefferson, KJ Hill. Those little slot mm-hmm. guys don't make it. Okay, I, those I see guys that. are I
1: see all together. Sure. Yep, yep.
0: So let's talk through. Uh, let's let's get to Visca now. Visca made that uh, next here for you. Why is that?
1: well the upside you know when you asked who has the highest upside of lamb uh judy ruggs i'm thinking in my head well maybe visca does um and that's i mean that's why he's so appealing is that upside is gonna make him incredibly appealing because he's got the size he's got positional versatility uh best yak skills of the class in a class that i mean All these guys just give them the ball and they'll do incredible things. And yet he stands out as the best of the bunch. But really where he's most unique is how at that frame he can beat press with just otherworldly acceleration. And that you can't teach. That is something you can't really even defend against when he has that frame to his advantage uh, and he has the after the catch skills. He's one of those guys, he's going to go to an NFL team where he's not the focal point uh, and he's going to just devour one-on-ones if he's healthy.
0: Yeah, and I think that he's also going to be impactful week one. You know, he he is that chess piece. You can line him up a bunch of different places and even, we'll see how polished they can get him as a receiver and he is not polished at all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he, he hasn't been able to Focus, I think, on the route running. And, right. you know, I may even have some questions about, you know, whether he has been taught as much as he probably should have been taught throughout this time at Colorado. You know, I would have expected him to come through a little bit more polished, even if he is running a bunch of Wildcat, doing the mm-hmm. end arounds and jet sweeps and all those different things. Um, and that may take some time. You know, maybe you, you can get him usable as a receiver. Um just with a training camp and a few preseason games. Uh, But I still think that even if you can't do that, you can still line him up out there, get him the ball, let him make some plays for you, and, you know, get him five touches week one, four touches.
2: Yeah, I think that's the appeal with him. And the spot that I've always thought that uh, Chenault could go to and really reach his, you know, um, his ceiling earlier on would be Baltimore because Mm -hmm. you can get him the ball in different ways. You can put him in the backfield with Lamar, um, there's going to be space all over the field, so he doesn't have to be that refined receiver right away. You can still be have him be a very impactful player early on, while being raw
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, you know in a place like baltimore i could see him being a good pick in the top 100 even if you never line him up and have him run real routes downfield just using yeah. him as a blocker handing him the ball letting him do all those mm-hmm. different things and work as a decoy is probably enough to like use a late third on him um you yeah. know. okay uh before but- before we jump into this next round um i'm curious as to which like which receivers have you guys just felt like you've randomly fallen in love with you know like guys who you're you're maybe even irrational about at this point and how much you like them
1: beyond um, brian edwards who clearly we all like. Yeah. yeah i think we had
2: the <laughs> brian edwards talk we all love <laughs> brian edwards
1: exactly
2: <laughs> Um, one guy that i really like, though is Van Jefferson. Um, his route yeah. running ability, um, you know, the size as well is pretty impressive, but his just ability to sink his hips at that size, I think makes it even more impressive. Um, you know, you talk about getting yourself open. He's someone that can do that. And he's also got a father, I think, that played in the NFL as well. So he's going to have that NFL pedigree already coming into the league as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I
0: really like him too. And again, for the same reasons I like Jerry Judy, you know, I think on third downs, that's the type of player you want. Somebody who can find space, get to the space, and go catch a football and keep the sticks moving. You know, Judy is obviously a much more highly touted prospect, and that's because he has all those other things. He has, like, the otherworldly route running. He is that fast. He, he has the feet to make plays right. after the catch and provide more as an outside receiver, too. But but I do think that if you miss out on a Jerry Judy and maybe you even take a C.D. Lamb um, or a Denzel Mims, then you could be looking at somebody like a Van Jefferson to pair with him um, maybe in the late third early fourth
1: yep.
0: uh, what about you Dre <sighs> oh
1: so many options. I mean, there's just so many guys to pick from that we've talked about. You know, KJ Hill and Antonio Gandy-Golden we've talked about, especially after the Senior Bowl and Gabe Davis and Tyler Johnson we talked about during the senior, like Juwan Johnson from Oregon, who I really like. But a new name I'll throw out there is Quez Watkins, the second fastest wide receiver at the Combine, uh, ran a 4.35. And he's not super short. He's six foot tall. Was... At 6'2, I could have sworn he was, but came in at six feet at the combine. Uh, So you see him, he's got he's a definite deep threat, intriguing yak ability. His quarterback play was so bad, so the hands were kind of inconsistent. You wonder if, like, if the ball was in his vicinity and he wasn't worried about getting lit up by defenders, if his hands would have already been more consistent. But he's a deep threat with some size, with some ability to reach out and grab some passes and you refine his route running. He could be really intriguing and he should be around by day three in this stacked class. So he's really intriguing.
0: All right. That's another good one. Um, so if I had to pick one, I would have gone with Brian Edwards. And then I would have gone with Van Jefferson. And so (laughs) don't take this as me loving T Higgins too much, but I do really like him and I know that he's a little bit, he's going to get drafted before the two that you guys chose. But I, I think that he is starting to kind of get overlooked because he does have some athleticism and he has the the obvious size. Um, I think he'd be fun to pair with Cortland Sutton when, when the other team is putting their number one uh, corner on Sutton. And then your number two corner is going on Higgins. He should have a, a size mismatch at the very least. Um, and And if he can, if he can keep developing in the more refined parts of the game, then you could see why he was a five-star uh, prospect out of high school. You know, he has all those physical tools in the build to be a freak.
1: In a sense, he's like more refined uh, receiver version of Denzel Mims with the raw tools maybe playing down just a smidge, but I mean... yeah. Games aren't that similar. Uh, but you cheated because you said a late round, and he's know, definitely not a late round.
0: <laughs> I know, but I, then you guys took all the my favorite options. And so I did. No.
1: <laughs> in line with cheating, if, if say, you had stolen uh, Quiz Watkins, two guys I think that aren't are barely even in this wide receiver group because they're hybrids, but like Antonio Gibson, I love the more I watch yeah. him, I'm just head over heels. You wrote the report on him for our DMVR Gems. Section of the uh, draft guide uh, Jake and then Lim Bowden who I know will be you wrote up for the next version both those guys the Kentucky quarterback and that hybrid receiver running back out of Memphis are really intriguing in this receiver class when we talk of guys in the later rounds
0: I'll throw Aaron Fuller out there too the receiver from Washington a lot of concerns mostly about his size you know he's he's 5 10 180 probably 185 um didn't run well nope he didn't run well and he's mm-hmm. supposed to be a speed guy uh he has the shiftiness he's pretty refined as a route runner for where he is um not all that physical you worry if he's just going to get eaten alive at the line of scrimmage you worry if uh he can box out a receiver and make a catch he doesn't have perfect hands but uh you know as a late round prospect he could be a lot of fun
2: um, and I've got another bonus guy. Okay. If you guys want Let's that, um, James Prochet out of SMU. Yeah. Um, some of the best hands in the class, I think, um, you know, the size at first when I watched him, I thought he was a bit too small. And then you look at how he measured it at the combine and the size is actually pretty. All right. Yeah. So it's something you can work with there. Um, you know, he's got the shiftiness to kind of get that route running in early. So he's another uh, late round guy that I definitely want to keep my eye on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Um, Let's throw just a couple more
0: names out there just to hit a couple more receivers before we move along. Um, Starting with let's go Colin Johnson, the receiver from Texas, who we haven't spent much time on, on this podcast.
1: He's tight end-sized, man. Uh, he's just massive. And that, that whole Texas offense, I mean, what a disappointment. They're just not developing those wide receivers. Because all these guys, you know, DuVernay, you see the speed, and he, he's built like a fire hydrant, so ball in his hands, he can do stuff. But as a receiver and route runner, he's so raw. And Colin Johnson's the same, only the opposite. He's so raw, he stands out for the contested ball stuff because he's just so big, but then you're not seeing enough separation and what have you is another guy who will probably drop a bunch with all the competition. You're going to find some real gems later on in the draft because there are some of these unrefined guys who teams would have gambled on in the third or fourth round in previous drafts. But now it's like, why bother in this loaded receiver class? And these guys will be available later on.
2: Okay. I mean, you mentioned that the wide receiver class is loaded, but there's also kind of a backup of those guys like Colin Johnson. You know, you've got Mims, you've got Higgins, you got Pittman. Um and then you just go later in the draft, you've got Colin Johnson like you said, you got Jawan Johnson, so there's a lot yeah. of those guys that are just going to be log jammed at the back end of the, of the draft this year.
0: All right. Um how about uh Tyler Johnson from Minnesota?
2: Go ahead, Jake. Tyler Johnson's an interesting one. Um I mean, he's got talent to, you know, snag the ball. His hands are awesome. Um he puts up some incredible catches on film. It's just athletically, you kind of worry about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a route runner, he's okay. Uh, the speed is definitely not there. And um, you, you just worry about him at the next level, if he can consistently get open. And uh, if he's being forced to make those crazy contested catches all the time, it's not going to really translate well for him.
0: Okay. Um, how about let's, let's talk a little bit more about Antonio Gandy-Golden. What do you think of him, Jake?
2: Um, I mean, same thing. He's a big guy that makes some crazy catches. I mean, obviously the level of competition he played against kind of bumped him up a bit. Um, you know, the Syracuse game is really the only game you have to go off of this year um, in regards to power five competition or like good power five competition. Um, but he's, he needs a lot of work. Um, I was looking forward to watching him at the senior bowl and, uh, kind of confirmed that, you know, he's going to have to work on the route running. Um, you know, doesn't really drop the hips too well the speed wasn't as noticeable when you're going against all these other uh, college Mm all-stars. So, you know, intriguing traits, but there's still some stuff he needs to work on.
0: All right. Uh, Any other receivers you guys want to talk about before we move on?
1: Man, there are just so many. If you give us one last one, I'd love to have the Chase Claypool debate if we can do that in a tidy two minutes. Um, but, you know, what? what is he, the only wide receiver above 6'4 and 220 to, to run that fast since Megatron? Um, so in rarefied air, and I think a lot of people think he's just a – a combine standout which he certainly is but he was also fairly productive had a thousand year um season at notre dame where that passing game is far from the emphasis in their game we've seen a lot of receivers come through there and underachieve just because they there are you know it's like usc or florida and you have a bunch of guys like van jefferson getting buried because there's no there's there's no competent quarterback to get these guys the ball um, but you know Claypool, the the real question will be: What is his role? Uh, can he just be that big outside boundary guy who's both kind of a field stretcher and a possession receiver? Can he be that big slot, which is maybe where he presents more value? And could he even play somewhat as a tight end? It's he's really interesting to me because undoubtedly someone will will take a gamble on him in the top fifty. I think.
0: Yeah. I think for me, what separates him from, you know, I, I think he's very similar to a, a LaVisca Chenault in some ways, in that you have the, the diversity in what he can do. Um, you like him as a blocker. You might want to line him up as H-back tight end, that that role occasionally. Um, fast with the long speed, sometimes has trouble getting up to that speed super quickly. Yep. Um, but the thing about Visca is that, he gets more separation as a receiver. Um, he has reps in the backfield where he's produced from those other positions, and and I think that there's a lot of projection with Chase Claypool. And to me, he seems like the kind of guy who, you know, he's a great athlete. People his size aren't supposed to to do what, it, what whatever he's able to do, but I'm not necessarily sure that there's a fit for him in football. You know, I, I don't necessarily know that he fits a mold that will ever be needed um unless you can't put on some weight and play tight end or I, I just don't know but when you watch him play you know they get him the ball on the drag routes and on the slants and that's where a lot of his production comes from um they, they they throw the little bubble screens and there isn't too much between that level of the field and just sending him deep and throwing something up and see if he makes a play and when that happens you know uh, I really like him. He, he makes some great back shoulder catches. Uh, he can use his body to box out there. Um, he, he does that occasionally in the end zone. A lot of the times he has success is against the less less talented cornerbacks, um, which I which really stands out to me. Um, I'm just not a huge fan of his game, and I'm not sure – where he fits and what he can provide, uh, at the next level.
2: Yeah. You guys make some good points and, you know, it's funny to hear you both talk about, you know, he's kind of caught between the wide receiver and tight end position. Um, because he did really uh, remind me of Evan Ingram when I watched him, uh, just the size speed profile. Um, and then one thing also about Claypool that I think has gone a bit underrated, uh, Daniel Jeremiah covered this on his Instagram though but his special teams value is awesome. Um, that speed size combination, especially when you're containing kicks and chasing them down the field. Um, he makes some really great tackles and he's going to give you instant impact as a special teamer. I think that's something that NFL teams are going to value a bit more than the media has so far.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that he would be very good as a special teamer. Um, one other note that I had when I was watching some of him was that he doesn't high point the ball all that well you know he uses body to box out but a lot of the time he's letting the ball come into his body or he's falling back to catch the ball behind his head you never see him go act, go out and get the football it's just all very passive and again he has the frame to get away with it against some corners and not against others and that's kind of what jumped out watching him
2: yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, that athletic comparison to Ingram, though, he's slightly bigger and tested slightly more athletically than Ingram in just about everything. That was a top 20 pick at tight end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yikes.
0: Okay. Any other receivers you guys want to talk about? Any takes I mean, you got could off go, your go chest? on all
2: day. Yeah, uh, truly. Yeah, I think we're okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Let's move along. Um, let's jump in. Um, Today, we're talking quarterbacks and running backs on top of receivers. It's unlikely that the Broncos are going to take a quarterback. Um, I don't think it's all that likely they take a running back unless it's a late-round guy. Um, Mm -hmm. So we'll go through this pretty quickly, but give me your top three running backs in order right now.
2: So I've got uh, DeAndre Swift at one, um, Jonathan Taylor at two, and then I've actually got Clyde Edwards-Alaire at three. Mm. So no Dobbins. Dobbins I'd have at four. I do – I mean, I see the potential with Dobbins. I do have some concerns about his game, though. Like what? Um, you know, when you watch Ohio State play, um, you know, that spread, you know, option run system, Dobbins is running through a lot of wide open holes. Um, and, you know, he's got really great speed. So he's able to reach that top gear quicker without facing contact. So he's able to just split the defense uh, really quick. I mean, you watch, you know, the lower level teams they play against for sure, too, like Indiana – Um, the guy's already at top speed before he even gets out of the hole and the the play's already done. It's over. He's going to score. So those are some of the one concern. Um, also just kind of like the tight area movement, you know, he's a guy that's better on the outside runs where he does really get a good head of steam. Um, I'd be a bit concerned, you know, when you put him in like a, a zone scheme and you're running a lot of inside stuff, um, does he have the agility to make those cutbacks and kind of, you know, read the open holes as they develop. Okay, why do you have
0: DeAndre Swift over Jonathan Taylor?
2: Uh, passing game, um, I think Swift has natural hands. Um, you know, didn't really show it too often at Georgia, but he's got the ability. It's noticeable, um, and just his his agility, his short area quickness, I think is special. Um, especially, you know, that dead lake juke he has is devastating. It's just it jukes guys out of their shoes consistently. Um, Taylor, I do like a lot though. Um, you know, he's kind of a dying breed really at running back. You know, uh, you worry about the passing game with him, how much he can contribute there, but he's a guy that if you want to, you can give him 15, 20 carries a game and you'll probably get a hundred, 150 yards out of him.
0: All right. Uh, Dre, what's your top three at running back?
1: Swift, Taylor, Cam, Akers. Um, Jake has talked me off the ledge on Dobbins. I do worry that maybe there's some, um, I I love that evaluation. I think it's spot on. My only concern would be, are we penalizing Dobbins for things that aren't out of his control? Like the fact that his O-line was dope. Um, But I think the, the point is that as an inside runner, as a guy who needs to create for himself, he's not doing it. When the hole is there, he's a monster, but when it's not and the the holes are going to not be there more often than they are there in the NFL. And I've been burned like by guys like Carlos Hyde far too often. So I like, um, I, I really like Jake's evil and I, I, uh, I stand by that. Um, but that would be my only no. And, you know, Swift and acres are two guys who really create well for themselves. And that's what I, um, just try and look for more and more in runners is, you know, what happens when the, it's it's really going to be a negative one yard run. Can you turn that into a four yard gain? Uh, can you turn this two yard gain into an eight yard gain? Because that's where I'm, that's where we're really going to find value at running back and acres and Swift do that about as well as anyone. And, Taylor's improved enough. I think that vision and downhill power speed combo will play up for him. So can't really go wrong with those three. And I don't think you can go wrong with the top five with Edwards, Hilaire and Dobbins added in there while he does have his risk, the upside of getting Dobbins in space and getting him flying downhill with that speed and size is, uh, intriguing as well.
0: So say the Broncos draft, uh, let's say Andrew Thomas in the first round, let's say Lloyd Cushenberry in the second round. So now your offensive line, Thomas, uh, Reisner, Cushenberry, Glasgow, Jawan James. I know the Broncos probably still aren't interested in a running back, but say that their hands are tied, they have to take a running back with their next pick. Um, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins are both on the board. All of a sudden you have this revamped offensive Mm. line. It's looking like there's going to be holes. Would you then be willing to go J.K. Dobbins? Would that be
2: enough to tweak those around? Um, that's still pretty tough for me. I mean, like Andre said, uh, acres ability to create for himself and I think he's got better passing game value than Dobbins as well. Yeah. So I would still, I mean, it'd be a really tough decision, but I think I would go acres over Dobbins in that situation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Passing games, the differentiator for me as well there.
2: Okay. Uh, So
0: which other running backs in this draft provide that same, maybe not the same uh, production in the passing game, but significant production in the passing game?
2: Um, I'll go ahead. Uh, A guy that I'm a big fan of is, you know, Benjamin. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I'm really impressed by his pass pro. Um, You know, the hands were kind of concerning at times. There were some drops, but um, he's another guy. Just get the ball in his hands and in space, he can kind of create for himself. Um, I like his real his uh, contact balance and body control. He was able to bounce off tacklers consistently consistently while the speed might not be there. He's someone that can create and will be able to make yardage for himself.
0: Okay, Uh, Dre, do you have one?
1: Gibson's the obvious name. Now the thing is all these guys haven't been tested too much. You know, there's no one who's McCaffrey where it's like, Oh, well he's got 150 career receptions. We, we don't need to worry about his value as a receiver you're, you're really projecting. And if there's a guy that I've, that's just grown on me exponentially, the more tape I watch and from seeing him at the senior bowl and everything is Darius Jett Anderson, the running back for TCU. Um, his 2018 Ohio state tape is unreal against the defense. That's like nothing but NFL talent. Um, and he has been used as a receiver. He has been used some in the return game, which I think presents tremendous value. And he has the speed. He has the quickness in the open field to really p- play up in those areas. We just haven't seen a ton of it at TCU. Um, where really that, that offense underachieved drastically when you look at all the talent that was on that team.
0: Okay, and for a guy like Darius Anderson, would, would you see the Broncos taking him... You know, they have the the two picks at one seventy eight and one eighty one, or would he be a seventh round like the two fifty two, two fifty four picks?
1: Well, I'd take him with those earlier picks you mentioned for sure. Okay. okay if he's around because I just think he's enough of a factor and different enough from Lindsay and Gordon, a potential enough of an upgrade, um in the return game. And you know, a guy who maybe from time to time you can line up outside and um unleash as a a bit more of a vertical stretcher, even in the passing game.
0: All right. Um,
2: what about power backs? Who are your power backs
1: in
0: this class?
2: Um, I mean, obviously you got AJ Dillon, just (laughs) ridiculous size. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, he kind of shed some of that weight and put up a great 40 time at the combine. Um, but when you watch the tape, the speed just isn't there. Um, but he's your definition of a freight train. I mean, you just give him the ball and he's just going to bowl ahead and, you know, pick up three yards in a cloud of dust. Um, who else you got? Zach Moss, I think kind of fits under that profile as well. Um, not as high on Moss. Um, but he's really in that Dylan territory where, you know, you give him the ball, he's going to be a punishing runner. Okay.
0: Uh, Dre, you got any more?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think those are kind of the main candidates in this class. (laughs) Maybe P. Ryan has some of that. Maybe James Robinson from Illinois State. But, you know, Robinson's value is more as a speedster than a big guy. I guess Michael Warren of Cincinnati. That's a well-built running back that can get downhill and gain some yards. But I think his value lies in that with that size. He has a, a little more than just being a speed back. I love Joshua Kelly, but to me, Joshua Kelly isn't a, a power back. He was more of a power back his last season. I like Joshua Kelly better in his uh, 2018 version when he was lighter and presented a little more value in the passing game as well.
0: All right. Um, Any other dark horse backs or backs that we didn't touch on that you guys think we should?
2: Um, You know, we mentioned Lynn Bowden and um, uh, the Memphis kid. Um, Lynn Bowden, he was someone that really just impressed me uh, with the ball in his hands. You know, they had to put him at quarterback this year. And he showed off those traits as a runner back there. Even Um, he just has a natural feel for running the ball uh, sets up his blocks. Well, has good vision. Um, I don't know if he'll play running back in the league, Mm -hmm. but he's someone that you would consider giving five carries a game to at times.
0: Interesting. Okay. Dre, you have any more you want to talk
1: about? (laughs) You know, we'll, I'll be writing up something specifically on these kind of versatile offensive playmakers um, guys who are more than just a running back or receiver present some return value and some hybrid value there. One of the guys that even though he had a disappointing combine and we've talked about him all year um, that I'm kind of returning to be intrigued by as a late day three option is Arizona running back JJ Taylor the 5'5", a uh, shifty speedster. He's a, he's fun to watch, was much better in 2018 than he was in 2019. I would give him a chance just because as that third running back, he gives you something much different from anyone else there. You know, there's like the NFL has like five guys who are that kind of athlete. Um, and there just aren't many athletes on the defensive side to match up with guys like that. So I, I like dudes like that intrigue me like jakeem grant out of texas tech a, a couple years ago so yeah jj jj taylor is a guy i would consider later on at the running back position
0: yeah i really like that suggestion you know there's the very obvious upside of having that type of speed um makes it a good seventh round pick in my book even if it's just to add some competition um Okay, let's move on. Let's get quarterbacks. This time, let's actually do the quarterbacks quickly, not like running (laughs) back quickly. Um, Let's see. Joe Burrow, he's going to be great. I think we're all on the same page there. Um, Obvious number one, where do you guys stand on taking Tua or Justin Herbert? Which one would you take first?
2: Uh, Personally, for me, it's easy. You'd have to be Tua. Um, The thing with Justin Justin Herbert that really concerns me Um, you never saw him take over a game at Oregon. And I think you kind of have to have that at quarterback. Um, You know, you see Tua and Burrow, they had moments where it was like, okay, this guy is just special. Uh, You never really got that feeling with Herbert. Um, Just kind of all over the place with accuracy. And, you know, the offensive fit might not have been ideal, but you still would like to see him take over at times. You know, Mariota played in a similar type of offense. He won a Heisman. Uh, You just never saw that from Herbert.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think... With Herbert, it is worth remembering that, you know, Joe Burrow, he had Justin Jefferson and everybody else. Tua had Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and everybody else to help him. Yeah, true, um, true. you look at Herbert, you know, I, I really like C.J. Verdell at running back. He's likely the top running back returning to the Pac-12 next year. But, yeah. you know, his his skill position players, you know, Jalen Red put up some numbers there at moments. Uh, you have the receiver uh, – John Johnson, John Johnson was there. That yeah, was Johnson.
1: Once Breland got hurt too, they were in trouble. You know.
0: Yeah, and so this this hasn't this offense hasn't had the same firepower it's had before. I don't know. I don't necessarily hate his fit in that offense. I think that. He is the type of quarterback who you could ask to kind of run an offense. Like, say, here's the scheme. This is this West Coast scheme. You're running a lot of bootlegs. Here's your job. Keep things, everything on pace. Find these guys who are all the pocket. I think that he could be very successful in that type of offense. And I have more concerns with him when you put him in those spread situations. I'm just not sure. I honestly am not totally sure what his fit is anywhere in the NFL. But
1: yeah, but you almost think like put him in that Frank Reich Doug Peterson Wentz yeah. offense for the Eagles from a couple, you know, that perfect marriage of like RPO, half field read with a little more yeah. West Coast to it and he could he could do well. I agree. I mean, and I think we all have come around significantly to Herber in the last couple months. Mm-hmm. It's oh, undeniable definitely. he's helped himself during this process, but I still think we all agree there's a considerable gap between him and Tua. Yeah. Regardless of the, you know, obviously the downside with Tua is massive because he might just like play yeah. five games and be done. Um, mm-hmm. But still that I think the the high end scenario of, of that working out is just too much to pass on with
0: definitely people. especially when when you're you're looking at how you pay quarterbacks if, if you have a top 10 quarterback he's resetting the quarterback market whether he's 10th or first and um, mm-hmm. that's why you really need to you know, be getting the upside there um okay so beyond the big three um who do you have next
2: Oh Oh, man. So I've got, uh, love right behind. And then really at fifth, it's, it's kind of a toss up to me between Fromm and Hertz, Um, and then I've got Eason comfortably behind those guys. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I, I also have Eason a ways back from there. Um, you know, just to go quickly through this, Jordan Love has some athleticism, has that modern quarterback upside. He does seem to fit that mold. Didn't quite have the production you'd like to see coming from uh, Utah State. You get to Jalen Hurts. I think everybody kind of knows who Jalen Hurts is. Uh, yeah. Athlete, uh, maybe not the most accurate, but seems to have gotten away with that uh, most of the time, at least in college. Um, Eason's kind of your big arm guy. Froms your smart guy. Um, well, how about after that crew? Who do you like? Who's worth keeping an eye on in terms of the later round guys?
2: I was actually impressed by Anthony Gordon out of Washington Same. state. Um, oh. You know, you, you see how Minshew uh, came into yeah. the league last year. Um, and, you know, Minshew actually kind of reminded me of Baker and I was too chicken at the time to say that, anything <laughs> you know, of that regard and like put him high in my rankings but that always stuck with me. And, uh, you know, he kind of has some of the same traits. He's really calm and poised, uh, behind the, behind the offensive line. And I like his accuracy too. You know, um, he's not going to set the world on fire, but he's someone that if you take him with a late round pick, I think you bought yourself some uh, nice insurance at quarterback.
1: Okay. Uh, who else? I have him ahead of from I really like Gordon and then I think though it gets shakier after you know love hurts and Gordon from um, okay. I, I do think the next tier is guys like Cole McDonald Steven Montez and Nate Stanley bigger um, high upside quarterbacks who boy that, that, that tape can get real bad at times um, especially Montez and Stanley uh, but the, there are also some some flashes that get you excited. Um, McDonald's more of a flash in the pan with his uh, college career and declaring early, and that offensive system's pretty unique. But I'm uh, I'm fairly intrigued by his his upside as a gunslinger with some size and athleticism.
0: Sure. All right. Uh, any other quarterbacks you guys want to touch on, or should we move along? <laughs>
2: I think we're good there. Uh, yeah, I think it's so. not a really deep class.
0: Yeah, truly. All right. Uh, before we get into all your guys' questions, which we're really excited about, uh, we want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, which is an incredible local company. They make beer, they make food, and you can still get both even during the quarantine. If you call them up or go to their website, uh, not only can you use the uh, Breck Beer Locator, which will tell you where you can find all your favorites, like the Colorado Core, the Strawberry Sky, you can also order delivery to a lot of the denver metro area uh, so so definitely be supporting them because they support us. If you use the code d n v r you can get five dollars off your meal uh, it 's great stuff so Take advantage. We also want to tell you about StravaCraft coffee. StravaCraft is a great CBD infused coffee, which means that it includes the caffeine to wake you up and make you productive. And it also has the CBD, which can help with anxiety or uh, IBS or whatever else that you could be wanting uh, to use uh, CBD for. So use the code DNVR20 get yourself 20% off your order from stravacraft.com and they'll ship it straight to your door. Again, cannot recommend that enough. All right. Um let's jump into the questions and there are a lot of them today. Um so let's move kind of quickly if we can and if we have to save a couple for the next draft pod then we can do that too. Um Okay. I found the post. Now it's loading. <sighs> Are you going to start from the bottom? Yeah, let's start from the bottom. Oh, wow. There's a long one at the bottom. Perfect. Okay. Yep. D rock says, guys, I missed the cutoff for Monday's podcast. So I'm reposting here. Once again, Monday's podcast with superior draft talk and analysis. Well, thank you. Uh, it's going to be even better now that Jake's here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hello again from new England where the entrenched Broncos country hardliners get to enjoy the smell of exploding brains and the sound of crying Patriots fans every day. Their woeful wailing and gnashing of teeth due to the departure of Tampa Tom, not trademarked yet that I'm aware of. I give this to you is glorious and beautiful music, especially since we seem to, hopefully, have found our franchise quarterback and things are looking up for Broncos country for years to come. I'm sorry I haven't posted in a couple of weeks, but I've caught every podcast and tweet you guys share. You guys in the Broncos podcast guys keep me going every day. I figured I'd give you a break from me inundating you with my mock drafts until we got through free agency and got closer to the draft. Don't worry, I'm still killing it. I'll share with you again soon, but I wanted you to know that you're killing it every day too. Tell RK, Zach, and base that bluff is pronounced bluff, See, even I knew that because it's, it's a term commonly used in the military. I use it a lot in email correspondence. I'm here to help. Ha ha. We'll definitely tell them that. Uh, On to the draft talk. Uh, bluff. J. Elway has earned my trust back. Ooh. WRT his draft decision that's probably just with his draft decisions so oh, I trust him go. but with the bluff going on I'm not really sure if it's like an initialism I guess or right same like yeah we say it, I don't know uh, so I trust him and Vic to move up or down if it makes the most sense for how they envision improving the roster and based on VPA and position value sweet spots in each round however my personal preference would be to stay within four to five spots of 15 based on what we would have to give up to go up and the talent available from 10 to 20 then acquire a pick in the 30s I prefer at the end of the of day three to have six or seven solid players and three to four UDFAs based on roster spots available as of right now so like most I view the last four picks as nothing more than trade fodder to help us move up into the 30s trusting Munchak to use and improve the offensive line we have here are a few guys I would pound the table for after BPA tackle wide receiver cornerback not Fulton or Henderson at 15-ish Jeremy Chin in round two I love it Troy Dye or Logan Wilson if Dye is not available in round three K.J. Hill or Antonio Gibson in round three. Jason Strobich or Marlon Davidson or Devon Hamilton if Stroh's not available in round three. Hakeem, Energy in round four or five. I'd pound the table for Kinlaw Brown two if they fell to as low as ten. Then target a receiver, cornerback next, and then target a center or tackle in round three instead of defensive line. If Elway and Fangio can make most of this happen, then I'd be ecstatic. We're less than ten days away from Christmas and April. You can feel the excitement brewing. April twenty third can't get here fast enough. You guys are welcome or awesome. Thanks again so much for your words of NFL draft wisdom. Let's get it done, John and Vic. Go Broncos. Hashtag
1: DNVR for life outstanding outstanding stuff thank you <laughs> that was a good
0: one wow he had some ideas too though i really like it um you know i agree those those seventh, sixth round picks i guess like 178 is a fifth but those picks you're trying to include those in trades you know if you're trading back from 15 to 18 you're trying to get two three of those picks included so you're getting you know 70 instead of Ninety you know if that 's the difference that makes as part of whatever package you 're getting so so definitely be trying to use those late picks um, to to increase the value of your return for whatever trade. I like the trade down i don 't mind the trade back up in the second round to me, all the value is coming in like the 70s 80s and 90s that 's where there's going to be guys falling that you want to grab so as many picks as you can get up into there you know hold on to one hundred eighteen because some guy's really going to slip hopefully. Um, that'd be my plan at least.
1: Yeah. The only problem with those low draft picks is, you know, they're just, they exponentially lose value. Like two fifth rounders are worth what one fourth rounder is. And two sixth rounders are worth what one fifth rounder is. And two seventh rounders are barely worth what a sixth rounder is, you know, and those to move up into that, you know, end of round one or early round two, they basically are, are nothing. They're just currency to, to kind of add in something, but, but not much more, but yeah, I mean, that'd be the sweet spot doing something like they were able to do last year. Um, cause I really think the, the, the sweet spot really is in that, that 30 to 60 range, yeah. um, where you can get, you know, you can get borderline first round towns to drop to you.
2: Yeah, um this is something I've talked to Andre about, you know, it's really just was a simple math I think with the Broncos draft picks. They got 12 picks. 12 rookies just aren't going to be making this team. Um, you know, you've only got so many roster spots. You kind of mm-hmm. have a you know an abundance of picks this year. They're going to be moving around. Whether it's up or down, we'll see. But I'd be very surprised if they made 12 or maybe even 10 selections this draft. It just mm-hmm. it just doesn't work out.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, maybe you can find some team that, uh, that, that doesn't have any 6th or 7th round picks or a team that maybe struggles to bring in undrafted free agents and would rather have a couple of late sevenths to make sure they get their guys and those picks would be valuable. But there will be a couple teams interested, but they aren't – you know, if somebody offered to, to throw in another 7th to the Broncos at this point in any deal, I think they'd say, eh, we don't really need it. Um, yeah. Let's move along to the next question, which is from Count Locula, who says Can you gents please explain what a guy must possess to play left tackle versus right in the NFL? And what's the difference between guard skills and center skills other than snapping the ball? Love the count. Yeah. And yeah. If you want to explain the difference between left and right tackle. Yeah.
1: Sure. I mean, left tackle, what we're really prioritizing is that ability to move and match up and mirror elite pass rushers. Uh, you'll be running behind the left tackle more, but he's protecting your quarterback's blind side, which means you really need someone who you can trust and pass protection on the right tackle area. You're going to be able to get more help and pass pro by the tight end there. So pass protection is still valuable and, right tackles and left tackles essentially more and more have to do the same job, but you can, Tr- you you can help your right tackle a little more, um, at, but you're going to run behind him a lot more too. So you want him to have the size um, and that power for the run game, and even a little mobility to to you know really really hurt when he's run blocking on the move. And as far as guard and center, it really depends on left guard, center, right guard. They're all slightly different skills. Center, you want a higher IQ the guy who can really quarterback that line obviously needs to be good with the snap on the same page with the quarterback, less size and athleticism is less important because they're usually doubling. They're not going to do a lot of one-on-one blocking. Um, and they'll usually double on the left guard. So that's another guy. We're not as concerned about elite size and athleticism and pass protection. I want a more mobile left guard because we'll be pulling from that side a little more, be putting in on the move more. While that right guard needs to be more of a road grader, more of a power blocker um, and, and also be able to handle this stuff a little more in pass protection because he's likely the guy on the interior who's going to be seeing more one-on-one blocking opportunities.
0: Perfect. Nailed it. All right. Um, moving along to Minnesota Paul says, Hey, boys, your resident St. John's alumni checking in. Andre mentioned on the pod that Barch is a D2 prospect. That's not true. St. John's is a D3 school. That's right. Insane. We hashtag pay to play. Just wanted to add that note in to build Barch's underdog narrative and also to ensure no one thought I was more athletic than I am. Perfect. Good to know. Uh,
1: Crazy. D3. I can only remember one other guy coming from D3, and that's Ali Marpet, the center for uh, um, Tampa Bay Bucks. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, truly, this guy wasn't even a scholarship athlete. That kind of tells you everything. That's pretty wild.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Breck Drew says Beckton or Thomas. Oh, no. And I accidentally unliked his comment. Oh, I didn't know. Well. We should get rid of that option. I don't know if I've accidentally been doing that. But he says, uh, "Becton or Thomas." I'm kind of torn between them. Thomas has gone down, and Becton has gone up. I feel he is what we thought Bulls was supposed to be. Great job, guys. These pods are fun, and I always learn something new or a new name to check out.
1: So Beckton is who we th- is getting the Bulls comp.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So the,
1: the small differentiator for me is that they kind of suffer, you know, obviously Thomas is more polished, um, Beckton a little more raw higher upside, but really in a lot of ways the areas they need to improve in are the same. It's knee bend, it's not reaching or overextending themselves and then getting out of position where they can't recover in pass protection. And Becton has the smoother feet and bigger frame to allow him to recover when he does make those mistakes and the higher upside, which is why I've given them the slight edge, but that's really the small differences for me on those guys. Um, yeah. neither really compares to bulls. If there's someone who compares to bulls in this class, it's Ezra Cleveland.
2: Okay. Uh, Anything you want to add, Jake? Um, you know, when you mentioned Bowles, I think that would kind of, you know, Bowles was such a disaster, you know, the project just did not turn out, that I think the Broncos would be more inclined to pick someone like Thomas, who's a more finished product right away. Mm-hmm. You know, he's more of a sure thing, you know, just less risk involved because you just don't want a, another liability at left tackle for the next three or four years. So okay. I definitely think they would leave, lean Thomas in that situation.
0: Yep. Could you imagine a situation where the Broncos bring in a first round tackle, start in week one ahead of Garrett Bowles, and then that tackle kind of flames out and they have to put Bowles in to replace him halfway through the
2: season. Yeah. Uh, yeah
0: not to like speak this into existence, like knock on wood and all that kind of stuff. But I, I agree. You got to go polish here. I think that at this point with with the two running backs, with the money they've invested in the offensive line, get somebody who is going to just be your surefire better than Garrett Bowles football player and put him on the field. You know, it's a first round pick. Don't spend a first round pick on a guy who's just going to sit behind Garrett Bowles on the bench for the year.
2: Definitely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, we can move along to Ethan Rozier, who says, Hey, boys, love talking to y'all in the DMVR lounge. We love talking to you, too. Mm-hmm. Really keeps my interest for who we can get in the draft alive. My question is this. If we do get a tackle in the first, is it possible to get a Brandon Ayuke in the second? How far will the Viska go? Thanks, and love your insight. By the way, really love – or, by the way, really, Henry. Derek Brown, LOL. Fair. Um, okay, question – Tackle in the first. Can you get Brandon Ayuk
2: in the second? What do you guys think? Go ahead. Uh, Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I could also see the NFL liking Ayuk a lot more. Um, You know, you look at Daniel Jeremiah, he obviously has ends in the NFL and he's got Ayuk on like 23rd or something on his big board. Mm -hmm. So if that's how the NFL feels, it's obviously not going to happen. But if things play out how we think they have so far, there's a definite chance that he'll be there for uh, the Broncos.
0: All right. Uh, I agree. And we didn't talk about him much. Let's talk about no. him real quick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- what do you like most about Brandon Ayuk's game?
2: Uh, fluidity, uh, run after the catch, uh, the mm-hmm. speed is there as well. Uh, returnability. So, I mean, there's definite tools to work with. Uh, again, with so many, like with so many other guys in this class, it's the polish that you worry about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I really like that word that you use, fluidity, because it isn't necessarily his speed that makes him, what he is, it's the way that he gets in and out of everything he does and finds space yeah. and makes plays after super smooth. So yeah. smooth, so smooth. Um, but maybe no elite trait. One of those types. I,
1: and I know yeah, we've I talked fun about fun. him off air, Jake, and you said, he's a guy you want to kind of manufacture touches for early on. Exactly. And
2: yeah. That same role where it's like, he might not get himself open early on, but you still want to get this guy involved in the game, you know, reverse his screen, stuff like that.
1: I think there's a little more promise to his route running, though it, it needs to be refined. But he's another guy where that smoothness shows up in those cuts, and you know mm-hmm. you get him on that release to be a little better and refine a few things, round out that route tree. Uh, he's got some intriguing upside for sure.
0: I agree. Yeah. When when I think of Brandon Ayuk being successful, I just imagine him like fifteen to twenty yards downfield in like the middle of the field in like a pocket of space. Yeah, you know, like in front of the safety, behind the linebackers, just making something happen there. Um, also, second question here: How far will LaVisca go? Um, this is a fun conversation. Let's just all set. Uh, let's let's say pick forty-six. Is Visca on the board when the Broncos pick at forty-six?
1: So you're setting the over under at forty-six. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm going under. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you don't think he's there.
1: Mm -hmm. I think momentum's building for him. Now there's a lot of injury uncertainty with all the injury question marks. We just don't know how risk adverse uh, these NFL teams will be. How many teams will just say, Hey, we don't, we weren't able to do the checks. We just can't use a top 50 pick on this guy. We got to take him off the board. Uh, but I think enough people are intrigued by the talent to kind of, uh, you know, the, let uh, convince themselves that he's worth the risk by in that 25 to 45 range. All right. Uh next question
0: comes from Captain Hook who says, what are the 2021 draft class strengths this far out and how might they change Denver's approach to this year's draft? Where do the second tier wide receivers rank against previous years top tiers? um that's a good question obviously when you're talking about the draft class you look at the quarterbacks first with Justin Fields with Trevor Lawrence those are a couple guys who Mm -hmm. are I mean at this point we were saying two is the lock to be number one next year and everybody's kind of competing for number two so who knows what's going to shake out but it kind of looks like those are your top two picks Uh, you look at Jamar Chase uh You look at uh, uh, Travis Etienne, who's back in school. So I I really like the playmakers in this class. Um, Obviously, you have Penny Sewell at left tackle, who should be right up there early. Um, So what do you guys think? What do you like about next year's class?
1: it's all about the offense. The top several yep. picks are all about the offense because it's a ton of wide receivers, it's those top quarterbacks, there's a couple nice running backs and it's a generational talent at left tackle. But all star I mean the wide receiver class at the top might be that might be able to go head to head with this group, you know, Jamar chase and Justin Waddle, um, Jalen, yeah. Waddle, Justin Ross, uh, not to mention Rondale Moore and Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, these Devante guys have Smith big
2: Smith. Yeah, exactly.
1: Dylan Wallace. Yeah. Uh, Nico Collins at Michigan. There's a ton of talent at wide receiver this year.
0: Yeah, then you have Walker Little in there, too, behind Penny Sewell at left tackle. You know, Mm -hmm. we were thinking he would be a top-ten pick this year, but he got hurt early last season. Alex Uh,
1: Leatherwood's there, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so I think that when you look around, you're looking at these playmakers again. You might be looking at the tackles again um, and then a couple quarterbacks up at the top. In some ways, this sounds a lot like this year's draft.
1: Yeah, in some ways. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, we can move along. Uh, Oh, where do the second-tier wide receivers rank against previous year's top receivers? So, I mean, we said our second tier is kind of that Justin Jefferson, Denzel, Mims range. Where would they have been picked in 2018 or 2017? 2019,
2: I guess, was last year. Um, I mean last year was tough too. Cause you had I mean, yeah. AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, um, even Nikhil Harry, there's a bunch of guys that could have gone up top, yeah. but I think Justin Jefferson would have been if not one, two or three, uh, yeah. if he was in last year's class. Okay.
1: Yeah. I think he would have been, he, he would have been right there, uh, competing with the ones, uh, probably with a slight edge on everyone else in 2019.
0: All right. Uh, before we get to the next question, uh, I do want to mention that uh, Mile High Green Cross is still open, and they have a bunch of deals going on, including $69 prepackaged ounces. That's a great deal. They offer out-the-door pricing, which means what you see is what you pay. $69, that includes all the taxes, that includes everything. It's so convenient. Uh, They accept hyper, so you don't need cash. Uh, You can order... Uh, online or over the phone and if you do that you can drive to their parking lot out back which they have it's conveniently located at 9th and Broadway Uh, and they'll bring out your order right to you it's so convenient typically only takes nine minutes from the time you walk in the door until the time you walk out it's even faster when you're just pulling up and letting them bring the food out to you Uh, the very best part is that If you sign up for their loyalty program, then you can get 20% off an item of your choice once per month. It's a great deal. Definitely be hitting up Mile High Green Cross to take advantage. Uh, To do that, you just have to mention that you listen to the DNVR Draft Podcast. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: let me, let me take that last question. Uh, a, a couple classes further. So 2019 okay. Jefferson, probably the top wide receiver, uh, per my rankings, 2018, uh, he would have been ahead of Calvin Ridley as the top wide receiver in that class. 2017 Corey Davis would have been my top wide receiver. Jefferson would have been second ahead of Juju Smith, who I had ahead of, uh, John Ross and, um, uh, Mike Williams, who went in the top 10 that year, 2016, he would have been the top wide receiver ahead of Corey Coleman. And 2015 would be the first year where he wouldn't have made my top three because I would have had Amari Cooper, Kevin White and Devonte Parker ranked ahead of him. Uh, wow. 2014 was also a loaded class. So in the last three years, he would have either, either been the top receiver or the second receiver per my rankings.
0: Do you think Brian Edwards could have been a first rounder? Oh, oh
2: man. <laughs> I think he'd be, he uh, could be close, right? If he was healthy, I think the hype around him would be a, a lot more intense than it is. I mean, it has kind of come on as of late, but if this guy was able to run at the combine and, you know, showcase his route running ability at the senior bowl, I think we're having a totally different conversation.
0: Yeah, he's he's one of my favorite guys on the board. You know, I really like him. I think Jeremy Chin could be a great value if if he falls. If you can get him like late second, like mid second, I guess would work. But I don't know. It's a great value. I don't know. He's definitely one of the guys I love, though. That's the point. We can move along to the next question, which is coming in from TK Freeze, who says, what's up, draft guys? I really appreciate y'all's coverage. Best time of the year. Two questions for you. Okay, so here's the first one. One, if both were available, who are you taking, Matt Pert or Ben Barch? I'm not sure why, but I've fallen in love with Barch. I think he will succeed very well at the next level. What do you guys think, Pert or Barch?
2: Uh, Andre, that's more for you, man. <laughs>
1: It, like seriously <laughs> combine the two and you have the best offensive tackle of the class. Because if you could take Barch's mobility and like pass pro fluidity and combine it with uh, Pert's size and power, uh, you would have just an insane prospect. I like Barch just slightly more, but Barch is going to have a much harder time sticking at tackle long-term because that length is really going to hurt him, man he has below 33 inch arms um, below 34 inches basically a non-starter at tackle below 33 is really tough so while I like barch more I'm I'm very cognizant that he might just be a left guard long term in the NFL with that mobility and pass pro bill maybe he's like a a tall, really good in pass pro, uh, mobile guard, like uh, Graham Glasgow is. That's maybe a oh. nice comparison where they both have shorter arms. And so they have tackle frames, but then they don't have tackle length. So they profile inside where, you know, if you make 10 million a year and you're Ben Bartsch, you're going to be doing just fine for yourself.
0: Yep. Uh, second question. How do you guys feel about James Proche? Is it Proche or Proche? I should know that one. Proche. Proche? Okay. Yeah. So how do you guys feel about James Proche and why has no one really been talking about him? He has 209 receptions and 27 touchdowns over the past two seasons. His hands are crazy. Why so overlooked? Thank you, guys.
2: Yeah, I'll handle this one. I mean, the thing that, that kind of concerned me about Proche is his play strength um, and just some inconsistency overall, um, especially in his blocking and, you know, releasing off the line. There's sometimes where he'll put up a good release and really create separation off the line. And then there's sometimes that he's just you know running straight ahead and running into contact um, to go into the play strength as well. He can be easily rerouted. Um, some people have mentioned the contested catch ability. I didn't really see that as much, um, mm-hmm. but the, the size and strength thing is kind of, I think why he's being slept on a bit.
1: And as you mentioned, his size isn't that bad from how he measured in at the combine. Yeah. But- the other revealing thing at the combine was he didn't test quite as fast as we would have expected. Yeah, that too. But his production is out of this world. Not just the last two years, where uh, you know the the stats that are brought up in this comment really stand out. His first two seasons with guys like Cortland Sutton, and there was another NFL prospect, I Trey Quinn, Trey maybe. Quinn. Yeah. yeah. Um, at SMU taking touches away, and he was still doing stuff. And his return game value is huge. I got to the Senior Bowl and was really excited for Courtney Davis, the other Texas wide receiver with return ability. Courtney's hands didn't play up; he wasn't separating. Prosh caught everything more physical than I expected. And, you know, he comes from a wide open spread offense, air raid concepts. He just needs to round out that route tree. Uh, he's got immediate value, though, with that return game ability in those hands. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't sleep on him because someone's going to get a nice third, fourth wide receiver on day three with Proshay.
0: All right. Uh, Next question comes in from Kiwi Bronco, who says, what do you guys think of trading out of the first altogether? Had worst case on the draft network simulator, so traded back with Miami for two seconds and a fourth, and then traded back into the second twice. Leave me with five seconds, a fifth, and two sevens. Got Epinesa, AJ Terrell, Chin, Visca, and Hamler. Only problem is I forgot O-line until round five.
2: Okay, so what do you guys think of trading out of the first? uh personally mm-hmm. not a fan. I think yeah. I mean the roster's not there yet. You know, you're going to need some difference makers at least at tackle or wide receiver, which is why you think you've heard the rumors of them trading up. So trading out um not this year.
1: Yeah, And not for just two seconds. I need a future first. If I'm making that oh, trade Yeah, and with how yeah. uncertain the 2021 season or 2020 season could play out. And we don't know what, how that could impact the 2021 draft. I really need like to be cons- uh, compensated pretty handsomely.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't love trading out of the first round, you know, two seconds and a third I'm, I'm listening for sure. Um, If if you could trade back, I mean, I think the dream scenario is the Patriots need a quarterback and Herbert's still on the board at 15. You trade down to 23, drop eight spots, pick up some serious capital, try to pick up, you know, I mean, we've been on the other side of these conversations, pick up a couple of thirds. You know, get a couple more yeah. of these top 100 guys. Maybe that's where you can throw in a 7th, throw in a 6th, just to like sweeten the pot for them a little bit and make it happen. Um, I like that a lot better than trading out. But if the board falls and you get a good offer, I I definitely wouldn't say no. I'm very open to trading down. Again, especially if you can consolidate some of those later assets. Um, trading back into the second, I'm all right with. I don't love um Probably wouldn't do it twice because, again, I think that there are going to be some guys when you're looking at this day two, second and third rounds, guys who you expect to be gone in the mid-second round who are still there with some of the Broncos picks in the third and you could get them at a value.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I'm not looking to do that, but if someone, you know, throws you a King's ransom, you might as well take it, you know?
0: Yep, yep. Yep. I'm, phone lines are definitely open but if yeah. just uh yeah Justin Jefferson or Josh Jones is there at 15 that's probably the route i'm taking okay yeah. uh next question comes in from Mr. Bezos, who says, Hey guys, did you ever have a chance to check out Darnell Mooney or Legereus Sneed? Didn't hear you mention them at all. Even when you talked about late round guys, I really think we need to take a tackle early this year. We only have two years of control left on bowls and James at most people tend to forget that even guys that become great tackles in the league tend to be average at best as rookies. If we don't grab a tackle this year, we'll have to roll out a rookie next year. If we don't retain bowls or we'll have to do the, the James dance again and pay huge for an average tackle sinks us in 2021 we need to take a guy this year for him to be good in 2021 otherwise we'll find ourselves reaching for a tackle next year and watching him struggle as a rookie is cleveland at 15 possible would he fit for schirmer or Munchek? let's take a pause there what do you guys think ezra cleveland at 15
1: uh, it's I mean, a little andre's high. a big fan I'm a big yeah. fan, but I, I would rather grab value, trade down a little bit, and uh, and get him or one of those other high upside second-tier offensive tackles while gathering up a pick. But, yeah, he fits. I mean, he's he's very projectable. He checks off just about every box. He's just going to be raw, and I'm maybe the Broncos is a perfect situation because maybe he needs to sit for a little bit, and by week 10 he could take over for bowls. Maybe that's an ideal situation for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, do either of you have anything to say about Darnell Mooney or Lageria Sneed?
1: Mooney, speedy wide receiver, uh just too undersized for me. I know he blew up the combine, but too undersized didn't produce enough at Tulane, I believe. Maybe it's Tulsa. So I'm okay. confusing myself. Um Legeria Sneed, another smaller school safety though. Um intriguing because uh, put up some stats was productive around the ball, but running as he did at the combine, you think there's maybe some value as a corner and corners who can present a little more versatility and physicality. They're more intriguing. I need to dig in more on him. Um, but Mooney in this loaded class. Yeah. Like guys like uh, Quez Watkins intrigue me more.
0: All right. Uh, do you think there will be variance in how teams value 2021 picks? Some teams may think the college football season goes on as usual, while another team may think the season will be shortened. And yet a third team may think the college football play- or season won't happen at all. We kind of talked about that. Uh, there's a gradient on these opinions and teams falling different places on the spectrum would change how they value 2021 picks. Yes, we just touched on that. Um, sure. Let's jump ahead. If teams could go back to last season, if, if they wouldn't say it, they'd have to be. If you're on picks, um, yep, definitely. And the same thing will happen going forward. Um, okay. The question: It only takes one team this year to have a vastly lower opinion on 2021 picks to completely shake up this draft. What say you guys? Hmm. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I mean, somebody might say they don't even want their first round pick next year. Um, what if they do say that? Say the Patriots, since that's the scenario we're running with. Say, hey, we'll give you a third. We'll give you, yeah, let's say a third and next year's first to move up from 23 to 15. What do you think of that?
2: I mean, it's an unprecedented scenario, so it's really kind of tough to say at this point. But um, yeah. you know, I just, I don't think teams would be too quick to give away their, uh, their top tier draft capital like that. Um, while it is completely up in the air at this moment in time, you know, first round picks should still net a lot. I don't think teams are going to, you're going to see teams settling to give away their first round picks just because they don't know if there's going to be a season play.
0: Yep. Totally agree. You know, on the conference call with the Buffs athletic director, Rick George, yesterday, you know, what he just kept saying was, you know, we don't have enough information to actually make a decision right now, or we're hoping by the end of May, we'll have enough decision uh, information that we can start kind of figuring out what our scenarios are. And I think that it's the same thing with these NFL GMs saying, we don't know what's happening and we're not going to assume anything. So we're just yeah. going to keep things pretty normal. Um, okay. Finishing it off, another later guy I like, but one that will take development is DJ Wanham. His frame and length is very similar to Kinlaw, but I don't think he's ever set foot in a weight room looking at his weight and how a few bench reps he did. He is a freaky athlete with all the length in the world and can play as a situational pass rusher and even at linebacker this season. I can see him moving to five tech and even playing some inside in the future if he can get in the weight room and fill out that frame. Light in the pants is an understatement now, and I don't like him at edge, but I think he can be something in a season or two if he can fill out that frame. I think he could be that guy Fangio wants to play all along the line and could be had for peanuts. Thanks, guys. Love what you do. You're the best. What do you guys think of DJ Wanam?
1: Interesting idea. His tape was underwhelming. He flashed at the senior bowl. Um, Yeah, the frame is there, but you're talking about a guy in the 250s (laughs) Uh, you're projecting a lot. You're projecting him adding uh, 30 pounds and completely changing his position. So uh, there's, there's guys who are closer to that hybrid mold, like Jabari Zuniga, who I'd be more um, likely to gamble on and thicken up than than doing that with Juanam who's just kind of, uh, you know, I, I like the creative thinking, but um, I, I don't know how many NFL teams will want to do that.
0: All right. Uh, next question comes from Vic Fangio's sweater, who says, "How would your perfect draft pan out position wise?" So for me, I want something like this: one and two, wide receiver. Uh, LR, that's gotta be left tackle. Wide receiver, left tackle combo. Three. Uh, oh, so round three, there we go. Oh, this makes sort sense. So first and second round getting a receiver and left tackle. Round three, getting a center, a cornerback, an inside linebacker. Four you get your second receiver, you get defensive tackle, uh, five, you get a safety, seven, you get tackle, edge, running back.
2: Um, I mean, it's tough to say just because, you know, yeah. teams aren't really going in there. You know, it's always best player available. They're going to trust their board. They're not going to really target a position in a certain round. Um, but, you know, I do think they need to come away with two receivers, uh, at least a cornerback, and definitely something at tackle. Um, and then from there, you just kind of fill in the gaps wherever the board falls uh, just pick up depth as where you can really. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah. And again, I know I'm keep pounding this table, but if you get more picks in that top 100, then when, when one of these tight ends falls that you like, you can snag another tight end, even if it's not a need, um,
2: You know, all that kind
0: of stuff. But but for me, ideally, you you come away with a receiver, a tackle, and a center in your first three picks, and all three are starting day one. Um, And then from there, you start to look at – you know that one of your next four picks probably needs to be another receiver, Uh, A cornerback would be nice or a safety, somebody who could fit in there. But again, Jeremy Chin comes available later than you expect because people don't like the small school thing, then that shakes things up. So it kind of depends.
1: I would like them to prioritize cornerback or D-line more than center. I think once you've drafted a tackle, then you have Wilkinson, you have Morris, you're going to have this extra tackle, uh, who you don't know where to play. Like you have enough offensive linemen to kind of shift them around and Reisner and Glasgow both have experience playing at center too. So I don't know. I, yeah, maybe that's how I'd shift things. Interesting. Okay.
0: Um, Let's see, only if, actually there's quite a few left. We're probably not going to get to all of these, but we will get this next one, which is from World of Suck, who says, in the top 100 picks, would you rather see the Broncos take one receiver and two tackles or two receivers and one tackle? Definitely two receivers and one tackle for me. What about you guys?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Uh, I would I would, without a doubt rather see Elway take two tackles. It's a value position that is so dang hard to come by in the NFL. There's a miraculous surplus of talent at that position, and it shouldn't be taken for granted. From a Broncos perspective, it isn't unreasonable to say that we may need to move on from both Bowles and James in the 2021 offseason. If Bowles hasn't progressed by age 28, and if James gets hurt again, you simply can't bring either one back for 2021. I think that's realistic enough that we need to be prepared for it. Plus, you look at the receiver position, and see that the wide receiver three slot could be addressed a bunch of different ways. Hamilton, Patrick, or Winfrey could step into that role, or you could get Gandy, Golden, or Gabe Davis in round four or five. So maybe we make DT's dream come true and we sign him up to be the receiver three. Fans presence also makes wide receiver three more of a luxury than a need, in my opinion. On a separate but related note, which tackle has Dre been saying has the flexibility to play guard in year one? Or was it Will's? Because I would love that. Which one is
1: it, Dre? Yeah, Wills definitely. Wirfs does as well, but Wills really fits naturally as a guard. Perfect.
0: That versatility would solve the issue at tackle for the 2021 and beyond, and it would also allow Elway to defer on drafting a center if the board doesn't fall our way. The line could be Bowles, Reisner, Glasgow, Wills, James. Morris is your backup center, and Wilkinson can play both or play backup for both guard positions. If Bowles or James gets injured, Wills becomes your tackle. Wilkinson becomes, or Wilkinson comes in to play guard. Seems like that would be a really smart pick if he were available at 15. What do you guys think about that? Sorry for the long comment, but last thing here. Hey, Dre, one of my favorite things about subscribing to DMVR is the film rooms. You do an awesome job with those. What are your thoughts on putting together some more film rooms on guys on the roster to show how they've progressed? I think that's probably in the books. Probably later. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, we're going to have a lot of time to do that. Yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, maybe just take the Locke film room from when he was drafted and then sprinkle in some clips from the season to show how he's progressed and where he still needs to grow. That could be done with guys like Sutton, Locke, Fant, or even Justin Simmons. Of course, you deserve some quality time off after the draft, but it could be a cool project for the upcoming dead months in the NFL. Just a thought. Love all the work you all do. Perfect. Okay, so the question, um, what do we think of the Wills to play guard scenario?
2: I mean, he's there at 15. I think you have to pull the trigger. Yep. Yeah. Yeah,
1: totally. I mean, he's going to be there. It doesn't push him above the other tackles, but if he's there at 15, I'm assuming he's the last of those tackles left. And that value gives him a really high floor because at worst you can put him in at guard. Um, so that's really nice. It's the wide receiver three stuff where, you know, you got to find more of a natural fit for that third, um, Wide out. And thank you on the film room stuff. Check out the lock one I wrote, uh, after three starts or something. So, uh, but yeah, lots more of that coming after we get through the draft
2: for sure.
0: Awesome. Uh, let's get through one more question today and then we'll save the rest for next week. Um, we have a packed week next week and we should have been plugging this earlier, but we're doing a live draft show on Thursday and again on Friday, uh, during the first two days of the draft, we'll be Mm -hmm. kicking it off about a half hour before the draft. We'll be talking you through everything that goes down, um, through the rest of the night both nights it's going to be really cool uh you're going to be seeing a lot of me and dre and rk and uh zach and mace uh, it's going to be a whole bunch of fun um gonna be a party really i'm excited and yeah. that'll be coming next week so get ready we're gonna have a bunch of hands on deck to make it all a lot of fun um But yeah, before that, we also have some more draft pods to do next week. So we'll save some of these questions for those ones. Um, We'll get through one more though. Lone Star Bronco. The big day is fast approaching. I usually take the Thursday and Friday of the draft off, but I am quote unquote essential. So no dice this year. Mm. Kind of bummed, but super fortunate money is still coming in. Yep. Yep. I guess that's kind of the situation. It's weird how all that we have to live for at this point is the draft. And that's like the one thing taken away from Lone Star Bronco.
1: Yeah, very odd.
0: (laughs) Poor guy, but also he has a job, so I guess that's a good point. Uh, Beyond that, my question is kind of a play off of a previous one. Say Judy, Lamb, Ruggs were all cherry-picked and out into past draft classes from 15 to 19. How many of those would each player listed be the top receiver? Oh, and out into past draft classes from 15 90, how many of those would each player list to be the top receiver? Also, how, if any, uh, NFL rooms or wide receiver rooms do you think Alabama's wide receiver room last, re- oh, last season was better than? Okay, let's start there. Um, Alabama's receivers last year, how many NFL teams would have just swapped their room for that room?
2: I, mean, I think you look at the Broncos, and I think they would have to consider it. I mean, especially I after sure. the Emmanuel Sanders trade, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think in the AFC West, at least two teams would have done that hands down. No questions asked. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Oak- Oakland at the time and Denver. Um, probably a conversation with the Chargers, but they might decline with the vets they have. Um, I guess. And the the Chiefs are the one team in the world who wouldn't. But you look across <laughs> yeah. the board, you know, teams like the Eagles who are desperate for wide receiver help. I think they would swap receiver rooms in a second in a second Um, you know the Rams and the problems they had once Cooper Cup went down and how hard it was to trade Brandon Cooks I think they would have done that in a second I just think you go down the line it's maybe 80% of NFL teams would have swapped it and that's because Bama had potentially not just four first rounders but maybe four top 15 picks at wide receiver Um, which is insane
0: all right uh, I agree that 's good analysis um, okay, we have comments from Elway for Prez, Samuel Bisu count Locula Ubeni lava we 'll get to all of those early next week and uh, we have not forgotten you so yes, just want to put that out there there 's just a lot to talk about, and we have a bunch more to come next week. Uh, thanks for joining
2: us today, Jake. That was a lot yeah. of fun yeah uh, yeah we 'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I mean, I'm excited to help contribute to the draft coverage. It's been a lot of fun, learned a lot. Um, So looking forward to what we got going next week.
0: Awesome. All right. That's going to do it for today. As always, if you guys have any questions, any comments, just some thoughts you need to get off your chest, go to the comment section for the post for today's show at bdnvr.com. Leave your thoughts, leave your questions. We will get to those um, Monday when we do this again. Uh, Appreciate all of you for listening. We will see you later.